1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today we have on a guest that we've all really grown up with in this country. Rona Maynard found happiness at 65, a story she tells in her new memoir. I have it right here. It's very dog-eared. Don't mind the pun. It's called Starter Dog, My Path to Joy, Belonging and Loving This World. It's fabulous, by the way. She first broke Rona Maynard. Now I'm speaking about, it, of course, into print at 14 with a short story about bullying and still receives fan mail from teens who are reading it in class. Rona capped a stellar career in magazines with a decade at the helm of Chatelaine, where her column garnered a loyal following. Her disclosure of a struggle with depression helped to kickstart a national conversation about mental health. After Chatelaine, Rona had to learn to unwind. And she found that her best teacher was a rescue mutt who had received his basic training in a prison. She has been married more than 50 years. Wow, that should be a question, actually. <laughs> and she's a firm believer that road trips go better with a dog in the back seat. Rona Maynard, what an honor. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss.
0: I'm delighted to be here.
1: Your first book, My Mother's Daughter, was so powerful. And I've been waiting for your next book. And was so thrilled when I heard about the release of Starter Dog. First of all, congratulations. And I have to tell you, for anyone who has a dog or knows a dog, this is going to be your favorite book of the year. And I'm going to tell you something even more interesting. I don't have a dog. I've never had a dog, and your book has made me consider getting one. When you got Casey, your beautiful dog, back in 2015 at your husband Paul's insistence, you didn't even want a dog, and what happened is nothing short of miraculous. Can you tell us more about what inspired you to write your second book, Starter Dog, My Path to Joy, Belonging, and Loving This World?
0: I just couldn't believe the transformation in me and how very unlikely it was. I had always been this really driven person, and a day did not feel right to me unless I had accomplished something. I had to measure up to yardsticks. And if you're not into yardsticks and accomplishments, you're not going to get to be the editor of a major magazine. I had never learned to turn all that stuff off. And at the time Paul talked me into the dog, I had been looking for this big, complicated professional project that I thought was going to give meaning to my life. And I kept Hmm. coming up dry. And meanwhile, I was getting older. Years had gone by. I didn't want to see my remaining time slip away in a meaningless fashion. And a quote from Mary Oliver kept going through my mind. I love her poetry. And she wrote, I don't want to die only having visited this world. I hope I'm Mm -hmm. quoting it accurately. And I was thinking, Mm -hmm. geez, I've always been a visitor here. (laughs) And it was staggering to me that the dog, once he arrived, was able to do for me what all kinds of therapists with diplomas on their walls had never done, which is simply (laughs) to let it go, unwind, savor the moment as it comes to you and let it float away when it ends Mm -hmm. He encouraged me to ask myself, not what have I accomplished, but how am I feeling? What do Mm -hmm. I want more of in my day? You know, so many of us would feel better instantly if we would Mm -hmm. only do more of what makes us feel good and less of what makes us feel cranky and tired. (laughs) Yes.
1: It's so true. So I just want to say, for those of you who don't know this, and I think many of our listeners will know that you wrote a column. You were the editor of Chatelaine Magazine for 10 years, really at the height of its success. And as you've said, to be the editor of such a popular and respected national magazine is no small feat. And as a leader, I would think that at times you had to be stringent and exacting to get the job done. And I feel like Casey, your beautiful dog, has softened you.
0: Oh, he has
1: right? Didn't somebody in your Pilates class say, Rona, you look radiant.
0: Are you in love? Yes, she did. It was the (laughs) the substitute teacher. And you know, nobody had ever asked me that in my entire life. After I met my husband, nobody ever said, oh, Rona, you must be in love. Because I was really quite crabby with him. And (laughs) I remember the first time he gave me a gift, It was an eclipse watcher. There was about to be an eclipse of the sun in Toronto. And he found instructions in the Toronto Star and he got a cardboard tube and he made this thing for me and he brought it lovingly to the dining hall at Campus Co-op where I was living and I was eating with some friends. He presented this to me and I said, what (laughs) is this? And I gave it back to him. I just did not want to know from Eclipse Watchers. And as I look back on that moment, I think yes. that was such a cruel thing to do. It was just oh. so dismissive. <laughs> but um, yes. he stuck with me. He gave me another chance. I'm only bringing this up because that's the kind of person I had always been. I was always asking does this make sense? Is this useful to me? Do I care about this? And if I couldn't instantly care, then I didn't want to know. I was not interested in nature. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I talk about in the book. I basically felt that if humans had not built it or composed it, or written it, or painted it. It wasn't relevant to me. And Casey became a bridge to the natural world. And as we walked in parks around Toronto, I found myself noticing other living creatures. And because he was an animal and I was interested in him, I was interested Mm. in the cardinals. I was interested in the robin building its nest. I was interested in the frog. I was even interested in the earthworm. Oh, and the bee. I mustn't forget the bee. I I watched a bee (sighs) making its way around a flower, busy distilling honey, and I was fascinated. And I thought, how could I have let this go? How could I not have noticed? Well, it's very simple how I couldn't have noticed. I was inside my own head. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. with a dog, I lightened up. Yes. Yes. You remember
1: earlier, and I think this might've been in the virtual green room before the show, I mentioned that I cried. Well, it's exactly in this part of the book towards the end, but also anytime you talked about nature and revisiting it and how Casey gave you a new way of seeing and like a baby, when you have a baby for the first time, it's almost like you're able to see the world through the baby's eyes. Well, you were now seeing the world through Casey's eyes, making you pay attention and notice every exquisite detail that nature has to offer. And this really was the part of the book that made me weep as you talked about the seasons and noticing all of the seasons. And that writing was so masterful and evocative that I felt like I was experiencing those seasons like in a new way myself. Can you say more about how your 65-year-old self was able to be mindful in a way like never before because of Casey? And isn't mindfulness one of the true
0: secrets of happiness? It certainly is. And when you are paying attention, Mm -hmm. changes are going on in your brain chemistry. Those neurons are getting excited. I found Mm -hmm. that when I was out walking with Casey and he would stop to pee, I would then stop to look around and I would see some little marvel and my cares would just slip off me. Because I was Hmm. delighted. And not everybody who's into mindfulness will do this, but I like to walk with my phone and I take pictures Hmm. so that after Mm -hmm. the walk, if I want to do a Facebook post or write a little essay about what I've seen, I've got a reference point right there. And I will see things when I look at the picture that I have not seen out walking around. It just makes yes. It's a portal. The photo is a portal. I've been fascinated by the research that's coming out now on awe. And that is not awe shucks. That's awe, A-W-E, as in wonder. It's yes. related. Yes. It's related to mindfulness. It's not quite the same thing. Yes. And it is the sense of being part of something greater than yourself. So this is what you yes. feel when you're lying on the grass, looking up at the night sky. You might see it when you're looking at a tree that is blazing red in the autumn. You might mm. experience it when it's a gray day and it's cold and the first crocus is coming up. Mm. And there it is. Lovely. Right at your feet.
1: You had a dog growing up, Rona, named Nikki. I think you didn't love that name that no, you talk about in the book, the name that you wanted but you didn't, and you weren't thrilled with this name. I don't think you had that experience with your childhood dog as you had with your own. Why do you think that is it? Was it the dog? The difference in your beloved?
0: Well, objectively speaking, Nikki was a great dog. And anybody who met him and cared about dogs could see this. My husband, a dog person from the get-go, was always fond of Nikki. He was a standard poodle, very smart and gentle and perceptive, mm-hmm. which Casey really isn't. Very good with children. When my little boy threw pots and pans at his head, Nikki just patted away. Casey <laughs> would snap if any kid threw pots at him. Right. So why right. didn't I love Nicky? Well, it's because Nikki was adopted not for my sister and me, but for my father, this was never explicitly spelled out, but he was the animal person in the household. He was an alcoholic and had been Mm. pretty much his entire life. Wow. I think my mother believed that with a dog, he would drink less. And this was absolutely not so. What happened instead was that my father's melancholia rubbed off on Mm. Nikki. So he came to us this bouncing, galumping, happy puppy. And he had a mission and he was failing in his mission. He could not make my father happy. Dogs are very sensitive creatures. Yes. He became a morose dog, still a very sweet dog, but sad. He was so sad. He yes. was that when he was outside, he always wanted to come in. When he was inside, he always wanted to go out. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Casey might naturally just be a happy dog, but I would put forward then that Casey sensed your happiness as a couple oh, and the happiness yes. in your household. Yes. Right? And hence it was even more happiness.
0: Dogs know what's going on. Yeah. And right. they will internalize it. And I think they are also capable of. A feeling that they've messed up in some way if their human isn't happy. Mm-hmm. So Casey is a thoroughly ordinary dog. He <laughs> is no smarter than anybody else's dog. He's less smart than many, as far as I can tell. His only <laughs> trick is catching a banana chunk in midair. <laughs> but that is what is so wonderful about him. My sister and I were raised to believe in an academic home where everybody was writing and painting, that achievement was all.
2: Yes.
0: And Casey is just into (laughs) happiness. Into happiness. So he undid all that childhood teaching that my sister and I got where We thought we were there to burnish the family honor in some way by winning writing contests and getting good marks in school, getting into a good college. I didn't get into a good enough college, and that was a crisis in the family. But a dog like Casey doesn't care, he never asks himself. As he passes a window that is shiny and bright outside, (laughs) he never looks into it as a mirror and says, does this harness make me look fat? He's just happy the way he is. And a little bit of that rubbed off on me.
1: He also did get a certificate, we should tell the audience, at the University of Toronto. He went to a special class. Can you tell us about that to get tested? yes.
0: Uh, He went to the Canine Cognition Lab. Now, this is where they perform experiments on how dogs think. Dogs are put through their paces, they're given little puzzles to solve. And the idea is not so they can tell you how smart your dog is. Right. It's so that they can learn more about how dogs think. Yes. Casey absolutely loved it. Uh, <laughs> this little lab was tucked away in the basement of the building where Paul and I used to take our classes at university <laughs> college. And he will do anything for treats. So they want what they call food-motivated dogs. Well, Casey's (laughs) mostly beagle, and any dog person knows that beagles are totally food-motivated. I should tell you that this lab has since moved to Brown University. We don't anymore have a dog lab in Toronto. But quite a Uh, few universities across the country do have them. I think UBC may have them.
1: That's so interesting. I know one of his favorite words is dinner. And you talk about that in the book and you say it, and especially, how do you say it? I was trying to imagine oh, how you say it because he gets very how. excited.
0: <laughs> Casey, do you want dinner? How about dinner? And then when he hears me say that, he starts jumping and twirling and dancing. Uh-huh. But if my husband says, what are we having for dinner? He doesn't react. So he doesn't no. really know the word unless I give it the special Casey flourish.
1: Yes. <laughs> so fabulous. I was so struck by this, Rona, that you love this dog, Casey, so much that you even went to the prison, to the town in the States where he was a prison dog to learn more about him. That's love and dedication. Yes, it is. What did you find <laughs> out? <laughs> that's that's wild. What did you find out when you went there?
0: Well, quite a lot, actually. You see, we had been told when we adopted him that he was saved from death's door. We had been told that he was in a high kill shelter, that when he got out of the prison training program, he went to the shelter so that he could be adopted and nobody came and he was going to be put down. And these dedicated volunteers from Ontario spirited him away to safety in Mississauga. And I believe that although most of what that rescue organization said had already been proven to be wrong. They said he was 30 pounds. He was 40 pounds. They said he was a lab pug mix. He doesn't have a trace of either lab (laughs) or pug. Yes. Uh, My husband's into DNA testing. So, of course, we had his DNA done. And then when we got to the shelter, the -hmm. woman there not only remembered him, which staggered me because how many dogs would she see passing through? Of course. She said they were a no kill shelter. Wow. And she was mystified as to why we had ever been told this. Now, I was very glad that I got to see the shelter. Mm-hmm. When I was there, a family came in. They had, two of their dogs had just died, yes. and they were donating the dogs, toys, and food to the shelter. They were so bereft. They were crying, mm-hmm. and they were treated mm-hmm. with the utmost gentleness by the people who worked in the shelter. Mm-hmm. Wow. These are not cruel people.
1: I loved in part three of the book, these wonderful sections in the book, everyone. You just have to get this book. It's unbelievable. Loving the world. As again, it's this is really what this show is all about. And what made you think of the beautiful Emily Dickinson poem when you were facing the little Trinity Church that day and everything else fell as you write? And you thought of this poem, and I'm gonna read a few lines oh, from please the poem. Do. If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can fix me, want to cry. If I can ease one life the aching, or cool one pain, or help one fainting robin, and to his nest again, I shall not live in vain. What made you think of that poem that you hadn't heard since middle school that day?
0: Well, I was blown away to see on a ledge at church house. This is where Sunday school is taught. Mm -hmm. an empty paint can with a sign on it saying, please, please do not come near baby birds inside trying to save them. They had fallen Mm -hmm. out of the nest. And I could suddenly picture a person bending down over these nestlings and Mm -hmm. trying to save their lives and looking around and asking, what can I do finding a paint can, oh yeah, that might work. And I thought I knew who it was because I had seen a woman working on the grounds outside Little Trinity Church. And Mm -hmm. one day as summer passed and the can still sat there, I approached her very shyly because Mm -hmm. I grew up afraid to talk to strangers. (laughs) This is something that Casey changed, by the way. And I said, I was very moved by the paint can and the baby birds. Hmm. Was it you who tried to save them? And she said it was, and Hmm. they all died. And she began to cry. And I said, Hmm. it was so touching to me to know that you made the effort. You Hmm. inspired me by doing what you did. And that meant a lot wow. to her. I began to ask after that encounter with the woman in the churchyard, what are some little things that I can do to ease one pain? Mm-hmm. And they do wow. make someone stay. So many people think nobody cares. So many people think my trouble doesn't matter. I'm all alone. And i give you a tiny example. It's a, It's a little example, but some Americans who were fleeing from a hurricane in Florida were out on the street in my neighborhood with a big dog. And they, they were in Toronto because they had to leave Florida. And this was where they could get a ticket, Toronto. Hmm. And they asked me, where can we take our dog for daycare? And I was so pleased to be able to direct them to Casey's Daycare And I recommended it highly, and I told them where they should absolutely not go because it wasn't good enough for their dog. And they never actually went to Casey's daycare, I know, because I followed up. But I think they were still glad to be welcomed Mm -hmm. to Toronto at a difficult time in their lives by somebody Mm -hmm. who said, I want to help you, and here's my card, and if you need to talk to anybody who lives here, feel free. Wow, 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 wow.
1: I have to say, there's also, I was talking before about nature, but there's also lines in the book that your writing is magnificent. There's this one line that I don't know, it just also made me cry. My song and his in wordless harmony. I just, let's just sit with that for a because Honestly, that line. And I feel that from what I understand from reading this book, that your dog, Casey, didn't only make you fall in love with him, and refall in love with your husband, like he actually made you fall in love with the world. He did. And really made you find happiness.
0: He did. He made me slow down. He made me look. He made me use my senses, not just my brain. And he made me see how things connect to other things. He made me feel part of a tapestry. In the book, I talk about pillars of the neighborhood, and these Mm -hmm. are characters that Casey and I see every day or almost every day, and they're friendly to us. And every time I see them, I feel a deeper sense of belonging. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: One of those people died during the writing of the book, and I was heartbroken to know that he had died and that he had, in fact, been dead for a while. It happened during Mm -hmm. COVID, although that wasn't Mm. the cause of his death. Mm. And I began to realize I'm a pillar of the neighborhood. And there Mm -hmm. are people who watch for me, probably, and that doesn't mean they necessarily talk to me. And someday they're going to think, well, it's been a while since I saw that woman in the big black hat. (laughs) uh i hope she's okay maybe she's moved away you know this is how we think about these people and yes. some of them have died some of them really have moved away but when you fall into this cyclical rhythm of noticing mm-hmm. and responding mm-hmm. at a heart centered level yes you do come to understand that someday you're not going to be here anymore the same way those other people are not here. But some of those people are very warmly remembered. Mm-hmm. The man who died was in a wheelchair. Yes. And he couldn't have a dog of his own. But he rode around the neighborhood dispensing treats to dogs and making yes. dogs happy. And when a dog is happy, I'm happy.
3: Yes.
0: He understood that.
1: Yes. Wow. I think you said in the book that you might have talked to him for all of half an hour in all yes, of your interactions, in total, but it didn't
0: matter because we had a meaningful connection. And he was always a little bit afraid of Casey's rambunctiousness. Yeah. Casey is not a well trained dog. We should have <laughs> trained him better. And he would <laughs> jump all over JP trying to get a treat. Mm-hmm. And he said once, JP said, this dog could tip me right out of my chair. And it was a real risk. So I could not get him back in. He was a big man. And we found a way that he could do this safely because he did not want to miss the pleasure (laughs) of giving a treat to this jumping, dancing, hopping (laughs) dog who was just transported by a milk bone. Wow.
1: There's a line in the book when you say we are animals and there's such oneness with our furry friends that we can actually learn from them. You don't call it furry friends, but just talking about how animals connect with us at a primal emotional level. And your suggestion is so fascinating that your best guide through the aches of being human might not be one of your own kind to help you. It's actually through an, an, you you get help from an animal that you could not get from
0: another human and that we're all animals. We're all animals. I describe in the book how my father used to say to me when I was a child, you know, Rona, we're all animals. People (laughs) are animals. And I argued, I I just wouldn't believe it because I thought, well, people are smarter than animals. We were not animals. And my father, although a very determined and articulate man, just gave up in the end. But I did get a sense of myself as an animal among animals, taking care not to hurt the animals that we met Mm -hmm. and watching them do their animal things. Watching a robin build its nest from day to day is just the most fascinating and beautiful thing.
3: Right.
1: You have to take the time to be quiet and mindful Mm -hmm. and just experience because we're so busy doing that we're not ever being. That's right. Right. This makes such a case for being. You also said something I found fascinating, that the most important gift a dog can give a human is not what we typically think, unconditional love. It's something else. I found that fascinating. What is the something else? We're going to find out what that something is right after this commercial break. We'll be right back, back in a moment.
3: Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm here with former Lane Magazine editor and author, Rona Maynard, with her newest book, starter dog, and it's fantastic. And just before the break, Rona, I asked you,
0: what is this something else? It's the love a dog releases in us. Dogs make people more loving. I don't honestly think that Casey necessarily loves me unconditionally. He certainly loves other people more than he loves me. I'm not his favorite person, but it doesn't matter because When he's around, I'm more outgoing, I'm more tolerant, I'm more appreciative of what my husband does for me and of what we have accomplished and created together in a marriage of 52 Mm -hmm. years and counting. When people say dogs give unconditional love and it's the best part, they're talking about their own need And the way I see it, I'm talking about my own change. I'm talking about how a dog acts on me and makes me different and makes me better. You need a starter dog, Judy. You really do. I think, well,
1: I'm (laughs) getting to that. And I swear I've never, and I'm close to your age and I've never had a dog, not even a childhood dog, never. But this just made me go, whoa. Every day, you've said, brings opportunities to make our corner of the world a little colder or a little warmer. We get to choose. I learned this while walking my dog. It's always a choice, isn't it? Yes, it is. Can you say more about that?
0: Yes. I began to look for ways to put warmth into the world. You know, I've been one of these people who just charge past other humans. And I'm not saying I never do. But I started smiling and having little conversations. I would even start conversations. (laughs) And the biggest change was something that happened when Casey wasn't actually with me. I saw a Muslim woman being abused horribly Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. a streetcar in Toronto. Yes, you write about this. By a white supremacist. And I Mm. stuck up for her. Wow. I confronted the abuser. And I would never have done that in the past. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: When people witness this kind of thing, very Mm -hmm. rarely does anybody stand up to it. Mm -hmm. The more typical thing is that everybody looks away and tries to pretend it's not happening. And when it started happening, I saw a woman my age get off the streetcar muttering under her breath. She knew it was a terrible thing. But she wanted to get on with her day, with her errands. Mm. And she thought, this isn't my issue. So I decided it would be my issue. Mm. And I could not really get anywhere with him. He pushed back. Mm. And nobody on that streetcar backed me Mm. up. Mm. They knew I was right. Oh, they knew I was right. But they were looking away. Mm-hmm. And after I got off the streetcar, I asked, have I accomplished anything? I mean, what was the point of doing this besides my own personal knowledge that I had done the best I could? And I realized maybe they're going to think about it. Some of those people are going to think about what they saw and what they did, nothing, mm-hmm. and what I did. And they might ask themselves, what are they going to do the next time this happens? Because yes. there will be a next time. Yes, brilliant, brilliant. What is bliss for Rona Maynard? Oh, there are so many kinds. One would be walking outside at Corktown Common on a perfect day. Spring and fall are my Favorite seasons for a perfect day, thinking about what I'm seeing, letting it seep into my pores, mm. relating what I'm seeing to poetry I've read and places I've been in the past. Another form of bliss is looking at art. And in the fall, we're going to Vienna, it's a great city for art. Casey will not be with us.
2: Oh.
0: <laughs> I feel like I'm going to, I want to offer to babysit, but I'm
1: actually having my first grandchild. I've just said that on the air. I can't believe it, but I am having my first grandchild, so I don't know if the timing's good, but do you have a (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I have to tell you, it's been so delightful to talk to you. What is the best way for people to get a copy of this really beautiful book, Starter Dog, My Path to Joy, Belonging and Loving the World?
0: Come to my website, ronamaynard.com, and you will see an array of buttons that will take you to various large booksellers that sell the book, plus the network of independent booksellers. So that's the obvious way. Or if you have a favorite indie bookseller in your town, your neighborhood, just walk in or give them a call and ask them to order you a copy of Starter Dog. With luck, it is already on the shelf. Well, actually, I don't think it is yet, but it might be soon. You just
1: got your first copy 20 minutes ago. I just got my first
0: (laughs) copy. Yes, the official pub date is April 18th, but some people do have their copies. Oh, that's so exciting. What
1: is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media, on Instagram and Facebook?
0: I am active on Instagram and Facebook. My Facebook page is public. I love to meet new people there. I tell stories about things that are happening in my life currently. So those are the best ways. There will be a Substack newsletter, but there isn't one yet.
1: Oh, exciting. I look forward to that. Before we go, I have to tell you, Rona, that your mother's book, Raisins and almonds was a very significant part of my childhood. and for our listeners who don't know the book, it's about a young Jewish girl growing up in the town of Birch Hill, Saskatchewan on a street where at Christmas time everyone had a Christmas tree but her and how she longed for that Christmas tree and it reminded me so much of my late grandma Lily sibling who had a very similar childhood growing up in Saint agath Quebec as the only little Jewish girl. and I always found it so poignant and always thought of that little girl Fratal so, It's fascinating to meet you, the daughter of Fredela, and to see this beautiful, evocative, memorable writing continue on in such a profound way. And like your mother's book, your book has changed me. So thank you for being here today. Judy, I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Each week we spotlight a wonderful person like Rona Maynard, an author, a mindfulness expert, somebody fantastic like Rona. So we look forward to hearing from you at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. You can also follow me on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app, or of course, on Instagram at The Bliss Minute and Facebook, The Bliss Minute. We're going to go on a short commercial break, and when we come back, more with Finding Your Bliss and talented singer-songwriter Whitney Ross Barris. We'll be right back.
3: Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. We're now joined by talented jazz singer Whitney Ross Barris. So part of the Toronto jazz scene since 2008 Prairie-born, Ontario-based jazz singer Whitney Ross Barris has quickly built a respected name for herself amongst players and listeners alike. As a solo jazz artist, Whitney has appeared frequently in the TD Toronto Jazz Festival. She's been featured recently in Jazz FM 91's one-stop vocal jazz safari, and she performs regularly in clubs and restaurants and concert halls all across southwestern Ontario. In the words of John Devinesh from Jazz FM 91, Whitney has, and I quote, a respect for sound, style, and the practice of an art. Throw into this the mix of an influencer's list as rounded and iconic as these names, Chet Baker, Tom Waits, Louis Armstrong, Anita O'Day, Mel Torme, Marvin Gaye, Oscar Peterson, and then further stir up the ante with a background in theatre. I loved hearing about that. And you're in for the spirited original artistry of Whitney Ross-Barris with her almost 20 years of experience as a professional theatre actor as well. And she's been in shows, and I've seen you in some of these shows, Assassins, Birdland Theatre... Cavan Blazer's Fourth Line Theater, Gory Story, The Thistle Project, Stormin, and many more. There's a Norwegian one that I can't pronounce, but you can <laughs> tell me about
2: that Yes, I will tell you all
1: about that. And, uh, and Whitney also brings an engaging and fearless approach to solo jazz singing. Ori Dagan from Whole Note Magazine says that Whitney tends to make one roar with laughter and shed a tear in the same set. Always in the moment and hotly swinging, she is one of my very favourite jazz singers in this town. Since self-admittedly bluffing her way into songwriting, Whitney's compositions and lyrics have appeared on stage in Wojzak, Red Light District, on film, Prodigal, Sociable Films, and on increasingly more recordings, and now in her own trio album as co-writer with guitarist Nathan Hiltz, Bright Lunch Trio. On the heels of her self-produced debut EP in 2009, and we're going to be hearing a song from that later on in this segment, Whitney released her first full-length jazz album, Everybody's Here, featuring a number of not-so-standard standards, originals, and even a few long-lost compositions by her late grandfather, writer broadcaster alex barris her second album this one self-titled with the bright lunch trio the jazz trio with guitarist nathan hiltz and bassist ross mcintyre was released in late 2017 the album features all original music by whitney and nathan and was six years in the making whitney calls uxbridge ontario home while she wiles away the tedious hours chasing her three adorable children and trying to sneak in a moment or two alone at the piano to work out a melody or 12 Whitney Ross. Barris. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Judy.
1: Of course. Whitney, you've been part of the Toronto jazz scene since 2008, and of course your grandfather was the beloved Alex Barris, a recording artist, broadcaster, and columnist for the Telegram in the 1950s, and the host of the Barris Beat in the late 50s. Your dad also followed in your grandfather's footsteps, writing music reviews for the Globe and Mail, as well as contributing to many CBC radio programs. Mm -hmm. And your mother, as just mentioned in the break, was the senior editor at Zoomer Magazine, and still freelances. So you come by all of this very honestly. I do. I do. I can't imagine what your Sunday night dinner table conversations were like.
2: (laughs) Well, oh my goodness. I always say our our hands are for talking and our mouths are for shouting because basically we just would we would converse, you know, when my grandfather was still around and my grandmother, we would have dinners every couple of weeks. We would all get together and have dinners together and there was a lot of discussion and if you want to be heard, you have to speak loudly. So. <laughs> speak up. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That's so fabulous. I know you are both an actor and a jazz singer. I'm going to definitely get into the acting, but I want to ask you where the passion for
2: jazz singing came from. Well, I mean, I think, I think it did come from my grandfather initially. He was a gigantic jazz fan. He wanted to be a musician initially and tried to learn how to play the clarinet as a young man in New York. He was born in New York City. And, uh, he tried to learn the clarinet because Benny Goodman was his hero. Um but his mother had a business making linings for fur coats and so he often helped out in her shop and he surged off the end of his one of his little fingers and so he couldn't uh
3: oh he couldn't dear. play
2: anymore. But he sang and I I actually didn't know he was a singer until he was gone. I found some recordings that he had made in the 40s. And, um, so I, I guess I get it. The singing part of it, I get from him and music is something I've always, I mean, the radio has always been on in my house when I was growing up and it was music or it was CBC or, <laughs> or, you know, CJRT or something like that. So There was always music around. And I guess I just initially I when I decided I when I had the privilege of going to post-secondary education, I had to choose whether I was going to do theater, which I loved or music, which I also loved. And so I chose theater and that's what I studied. But I ended up transitioning kind of to the other side of it when I was uh, in my late 20s because I I guess I just. I I don't know if you you had that when you were in your late twenties. wasn't It's not like a midlife crisis. I guess it's like a quarter life crisis, (laughs) where you kind of are at a point where you know you maybe want to have a family or you maybe want to like change direction with whatever direction you were going in. And I felt a real draw toward music and a sort of you know something I hadn't done that I needed to do. And so I started learning more about being a jazz singer and jazz itself and making music and. Not that I transitioned out of being an actor. I just sort of expanded my professional realm, I guess. It's so
1: interesting because what I love about your story also is that you did what my daughter did. You studied theatre at Sheridan College in Oakville yeah. and re- one of the best performing arts schools, not only in Canada, it's actually considered in the world. Yeah. And not long before that, you won a scholarship to study theatre in Norway for a year performing <laughs> Shakespeare in Norwegian. Yeah. That is How did you describe that? I mentioned that off the top because I couldn't read <laughs> that name properly. So I That's wanted okay. you to say it. No, well, no. So, it's, so it was,
2: um, it's a school called... Volofolke High School, which is like um, basically the people's school. <laughs> it's a bit yes. like the Banff Center of Fine Arts in that it's a it's sort of a ah. post-secondary place where you can kind of hone your skills and you don't necessarily get marked on your whatever you're producing, but it's more about just showing up and doing it. So I randomly got this scholarship through the Durham Board of Education where my high school was in Oxford. I was actually in Port Perry, but we were offered, me and another, I and another student were offered a scholarship following a visit that the Norwegians had just had with the Durham board. And um, so they offered these scholarships. Oh <laughs> so my goodness. Me and this actually <laughs> like woman who, who had Norwegian family, she was a dancer and uh, we, we both got to go. And so I studied music when I was there and, and we did theater as I did theater as like a minor and they put on a production of The Tempest. <laughs> <laughs> which even. was in Norwegian, which was, I mean, I, I didn't really speak Norwegian. I was learning, like we had a class where this poor man would try to teach us Norwegian. And she, my friend, Kristen, who was the other Canadian who went, had family in Norway. So she actually was fairly fluent Whereas. I was like (laughs) mixing it in with French and I was just very bad at everything. But anyway. Do you remember a line? Do you remember a line from that piece? I don't remember I don't (laughs) remember anything from that, but I do remember I brought back the Norwegian birthday song. So whenever it's anyone's birthday, I sing the Norwegian birthday song to
1: them. (laughs) That's fabulous. That's so great. It's fascinating to me. You've done so many things. I have to have you back on for a longer time because sure. there's so much I want to talk to you about. You know, sure. uh, I find it fascinating that you live in these two lanes as a jazz singer right. and as an actor. I've mm-hmm. been quite fascinating. I don't know a lot of people like that. So I'm wondering, does one inform the other? How does that work? Yes,
2: absolutely. I find, especially as a jazz singer, that <laughs> I guess I'm a bit of a, I think being the youngest kid in my family, well, I just, just me and my sister, but... I've always been sort of the uh, attention seeker. And so when I got to be a jazz singer and have other people just sort of back me up and, you know, and I got to just make my own show and sing whatever the hell I wanted to. And just, you know, I love the idea of just having a space that's my own and kind of expressing whatever I want to express in the moment. And I think being comfortable on stage came from being on stage as an actor. And so I think sometimes that Hmm. enriches my shows as a jazz singer. It gives it a sort of cabaret kind of vibe where Mm. I'm not afraid to interact and engage with the audience. And nice, um, nice, yeah
1: and i would even think that your believability as an actor like saying lines sure. and being so in the moment it also works with music right and yeah, absolutely. and being authentic
2: yeah i mean cuz i i think as a singer you you have a responsibility especially with standards and then anything else that you create on your own to tell a story i think it's i think it's just as important as your your adeptness as a musician is your ability to tell the story because People want to dance, but they also want to hear the story that the song's hold. That's so great.
1: Well, without further ado, I'm, you're a fabulous singer and I'm really excited for our audience to hear you sing. Thank you. And I was blown away actually recently, because it was this morning when I heard you sing the song, I want the waiter with the water <laughs> yes. from your album. Everybody's here. Can you set it up for us briefly? Uh,
2: this is a song, a sort of a novelty song that was written by a pair of twins in late in the 1930s, late 1930s. Kay and Sue Werner wrote it. And I heard it, Louis Prima made a recording of it, and I thought it was hilarious and I wanted to learn it. But then I also found that Ella Fitzgerald sang it in her very early years. So it's a really fun, wow. cute little song. And we had a blast in the studio making it. I got a bunch of dishes from Value Village and my drummer beat on them and we broke a few things, but it was all in good fun. So That's so
1: great. Well, without further ado, let's all have a listen to Whitney Barris sing, I want the waiter
2: with the water. Waiter!
1: Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow, that was so fabulous. You know what? That song makes me happy. That song, it, it's so interesting. We just did a happiness episode on Libby's Nimer's television program, The Zoomer. And I just thought that song that you just sang just makes you happy. It, it really it's is. great. It's the happiest, yeah. <laughs> oh, just fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're welcome just briefly i know you do lots of gigging with your co-writer nathan hiltz yeah. who you perform with regularly in toronto with your wonderful bright lunch trio mm-hmm. and i'm just wondering if you have anything coming up or if you could tell us all about that
2: oh goodness well i just did i just did something the other night which was really fun uh james b did the caravan of music oh, over yes. at Mill, Mill, and that was really fun we had a blast doing that I yes, got, that was a Genevieve. Genevieve was in that yeah, as well, right? Gigi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh my gosh, it was great. There were so many great musicians and singers. and Oh, oh my God, it wow. was so fun. It was so fun. I wish, That's I, awesome. the only regret was that because I was singing, I couldn't go walk around as much and see everybody. <laughs> it was such a great night. So I'm sure he'll do it again next oh. year. she got to do that. Uh, As far as what's coming up, it's been relatively quiet because I've been, I've just been sort of writing, I've been working on my grant writing, actually, (laughs) trying to get some, some support for some recordings, hopefully at the end of the year. But I've got actually in Uxbridge in June, there's the Springtide Music Festival. And it's, it's in its third or fourth year now. And I'm going to do a gig on the June the 9th. In Uxbridge at the Urban Pantry as part of Springtide. I put all my stuff on my website. All my gigs are always on my website. And what's your website? It's www.whitneyrb.com because most people can't spell my last name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And what about your social media handles? How can people connect with you and follow you on social media?
2: I'm on Instagram. Uh, My handle there is twitrb. It's T-W-I-T as in Whitney, T W H I T R B. And then on on Facebook, I think it's something like Whitney sings or Whitney (laughs) R B sings or something. All right, well that's that's where I am, and you can find me on YouTube too. There's lots of stuff on YouTube.
1: Oh, that's so awesome! Well, everyone, I'm sure, is going to be checking out your music because I just loved all of it. I was listening to it, and I was like, I want to play this. I want to play that. (laughs) It's all it's all great stuff. We we always ask this question at the end of every show. I don't know if you know that, and it is, what is bliss. For Whitney Ross-Barris.
2: Oh, wow. Well, it's hard to say. I'm a very eclectic person. So there's lots of different parts of me that uh, are parts of my personality. And there's bliss associated with my children and my home life and spending time with them and seeing them really happy. That's really wonderful to see my children thriving and, and feeling lots of joy. I think that's wonderful. But... I think my favorite thing is to be on stage with, you know, a group of wonderful musicians. And I've been so privileged to work with so many great musicians in Toronto. And there is something that happens that you can't, put on Spotify or capture in a jar that happens when you are playing, whether it's your own composition or a standard, and you are in some part of the stratosphere where you're all connecting on the same level. And sometimes you just play with people who you're inside their head and they're inside your head and they just they support you on all the crazy choices you make. And so anything that you do works out and there you know that is bliss that's bliss is having having that kind of a group to work with and all being on the same level and having the whole room following it and just being there with you it's wonderful and you just made lucky. me cry i don't know why but really you did,
1: because that was really <laughs> beautiful the way you described that Sorry. that's what this show is all about yeah. right and you just said it so beautifully thank, thank you me. so much for being here today it was great having oh, you on finding your my bliss. absolute pleasure thank you judy thank you what a great hour. I would like to thank all of our wonderful guests, Rona Maynard and Whitney Ross-Barris for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Naira Amani, associate producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanuciello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.